I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So, Greg, how was the turkey day, my man? Uh, It was pretty good, Nick. It was uh, just a quiet day with the family, quite the feast that uh, Mrs. BSJ and myself put together. I'm sort of like, I'm I'm designated turkey guy. She does uh, everything else, including a mean apple pie. So it was, uh, you know, and the kids, kids were around. You know, we just, it was a good, quiet day. Nice. Glad you enjoyed it. I went to the uh, I went to the mother-in-law's, hung out there for a few hours, uh, had a couple drinks, watched some bad football, had some good food, so it was a good time. Hopefully, everybody watching, listening to us, had a great holiday as well as we get ready for this football game coming up on Sunday. Before we get into it, though, uh, this episode brought to you by FanDuel, exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Right now, new customers get one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets with any winning five dollar money line bet. All right, Greg. Now, you and I talked about doing a podcast today after the last one we did, and we at least thought there might be a shot that Belichick would know who his starting quarterback is going to be for Sunday. If he knows, he's not telling anybody. Earlier today with the media, just about an hour ago, Greg, he stuck to the told everybody to be ready to go line. Yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah, Nick, at this point... um, I'm about out of answers or even, um, I mean, I, I do have some theories on why he's doing this, but you know, my overriding thought is if you're the crafts and you're, you know, watching this stuff at two and eight, um, you know, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about how your head coach is representing your, your football program? Um, there haven't been any leaks to this point in time that the players are being told something different. Um, which, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised we're taping this a, l- a little after noon on Friday. Knowing the way Belichick operates, as soon as he gets off the podium, there are some leaks, so I should really be checking Twitter, um, that, that he filters out what he wants to um, certain national reporters. So be on the lookout for that today, um, since Bill doesn't now doesn't have to comment on it until after the game on Sunday. Right. So... Those are sort of my overriding thoughts, but you know my my big thing is you know trying to put on my Belichick hat, which we all know is is um, is tough to do and uh, questionable at best. Um, but the only thing that I could here's a couple of thoughts that I have that um, you know for whatever reason he's trying to keep everybody on their toes. I think part of it has to do with some of these leaks to whether it's Mike Giardi or Andrew Callahan or whoever about the locker room on where they are uh, as far as Mac Jones, um, you know, 80-20 being out on Mac Jones, that sort of thing. I could see this as Belichick just being like, you guys think you have a say in this? Like, screw you guys. So now I'm just going to keep you in the dark. So that could be part of it. 
Um, a bigger part of it, my gut tells me that Bill is doing this because I think he knows that he could be moving to Bailey Zappi and he doesn't want to put Mac in the position and the players in the locker room in the position to talk about all this. Um, if it was just Mac Jones, you know, why not go out there and say like, look, you know, Mac has had his issues, but we have bigger issues as an offense that are affecting the quarterback. And we all need to be better until we start pointing the fingers at, at the quarterback, not to make uh, Mac Jones a sacrificial lamb for the struggles of the offense. But if he is thinking about making a change to Zappy this weekend, uh, to me, it would make sense that Bill would withhold that information as long as possible, just to not embarrass Mac Jones. I mean, because if he, if he, if he did that on whenever they came back Monday and Tuesday, then, you know, what do you do about the WEI interview? What are the guys right. being asked about, you know, putting Bailey in that position? Like, you know, now at this point in time, just say that he does go with Bailey Zappi on Sunday. You know, Mac Jones probably wouldn't be made available after the game. He would probably hightail it out of the locker room. And he probably wouldn't be asked about it until sometime the next week. So those are just some of the thoughts that that are running through my head. But just in general, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. You're a two and eight football team, you know, figure it out, set a course for the team and let's get on with it. He's playing chess. He's not playing checkers, Greg. Uh, a couple things here. As far as protecting Mac, I think what you just said would make a lot of sense in theory, right? That you're protecting Mac in essence by not coming out and saying Zappy's the guy. But according to the reports that I've read, they're splitting reps. Yeah. Between Zappy and Mac at practice. So, look, I just looking looking at this situation and saying to myself, man, we're Friday before a Sunday game for a two and eight football team. And if this is truly the head coach being undecided on who's going to start, what a freaking nightmare this is. It, It just highlights what we've talked about before, how much of a mess the quarterback room is. I also kind of looked at Dan Campbell last night. I don't know if you saw this, Greg, but there was a very questionable fake punt that they called for during the game, mm-hmm. and it went nowhere. <laughs> it was like like Green Bay was the most ready team for a fake punt that I've ever seen in my life. And so Campbell, after the game, came out and said, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have made that call. That 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 was on me. And, and look, people, some people might not care about this, and when you're winning – I think people care a lot less. Honestly, I was one of those guys that would say like, hey, whatever, Belichick handles the things he handles and he's going to be Bill, but they're winning. So you can't really complain or criticize it. But in this case, like just this year with Bill handling things the same way he handled them when they were winning Super Bowls, it's like it would be nice to see the head coach take a little bit more accountability and responsibility for some of the bleep show that we've seen this year, Greg. Yeah, I mean, you know, no question. But, you know, I think I think you and I realized that that boat left the harbor a long time ago. I mean, yeah, that the head coach couldn't even come out after last season and talk about some of the things that he was telling people privately, just admitting that, look, I messed up. I didn't put our offense and Mac Jones in position to succeed with what I decided to do with the coaching staff that that's on me. Like, don't don't put that on them. Um, 
I thought it was going to work. It obviously didn't work. You know, that's my fault, but we're going to get it corrected. I mean, we didn't even hear that from him. And, you know, instead we got the anonymous source sort of blame game, you know, with Mac Jones and, you know, and then it was, you know, he's, he's not going to mention his name all off season and stuff like that. So, I mean, this is just, you know, what you get. And, it, you know, to go back to my original point, you just have to wonder what the crafts are thinking about all of this stuff that, that this is where their head coach is. This is how the head coach um, treats some of his duties, which includes being the public face of the franchise to the media, to the fans, more importantly. And um, this is sort of what he does. And is that good enough for this franchise anymore, especially now that they are on their way to their third losing season in four years? Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. I love the app. I use it all the time, all over the place. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in mass. Hope is here. First online real wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued at non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. And people might sit there and say, oh, Greg and Nick, this is a media versus Belichick thing. But it goes beyond that. I want people to think about why this is something that we should talk about. The way Belichick handles these things allows him to not take accountability or responsibility for a number of different aspects. We saw it at the trading deadline. Like he's the GM, he's the head coach, he has the final call. And when he's up there and he's playing these games, these semantics games about his position within the organization, like other organizations have their GMs out there saying, this is why we chose to do what we did. This is why we chose to not do, you know, a a trade at the deadline. It, It is taking accountability and responsibility for the decisions that you make as the head coach and GM. And the games that Belichick plays with the media, especially when you're losing like this, he's, he's deflecting everything. And he's, he's deflecting any responsibility from himself. So it goes beyond this media versus Belichick stuff that I think fans get wrapped up into and try to pick a side. It, it's the guy who's calling the shots. And he wants others to take responsibility and accountability. But meanwhile, he doesn't say anything at these press conferences, which is – running away from any of that responsibility. All right, Greg, you had a you had a great column and I read it yesterday before I went out for Thanksgiving dinner on Mac Jones and the offense and how things have just fallen off a cliff since 2021. You were speaking my language, my man. We we were not only in the same church, we were sitting in the same pew. We were just sitting in the same pew next to each other. That's that's how I, I loved how much I loved this from you. 
Uh, but the most telling parts for people that haven't read it, I would I would suggest that you read this piece by Greg. It's really good. He spoke to four or five executives around the league about Mac Jones and this offense. But what was the most telling thing from that story, Greg, when you looked back, when you looked back to 2021 and from what you heard from these executives? I think um, I think to me and, and just to give people a little bit of background, but because, of course, when you publish something that's not um, positive about the Patriots and and you know, you, you get a lot of pushback. I mean, that's just typical. It's, it's these people like they're still fighting the civil war. Like, I mean, you know, look, look what, look what has happened to this program. And, and, you know, since going back to Brady's last season and these people want to pretend that, you know, everything is all hunky dory, like, you know, whatever. And so, you know, when I do these stories, you know, I try to take myself, I certainly have my opinion, but I'm not, you know, and I do have somewhat of an informed opinion, but I, you know, anytime I have questions or there's some doubt, like I just go back to my Rolodex, you know, guys that I have spoken to over the course of, you know, 20 years, um, two of which have very heavy ties to the Patriots and know how they do things and know some of the inner workings and actually what's gone on um, with this internally over the past couple of years. And I put the questions out to them and then, you know, I get it back from them and I take myself out of the equation. You know, to try to better inform my readers, especially the members at Boston Sports Journal. Um, and, you know, I, I would say the thing that that surprised me the most was that, first of all, you know, all of them wanted to go back to Mac Jones in 2021. And there was a lot of conversation about that, about where he was his rookie season. Now, you know, was it perfect? Did he, you know, are there the people out there like, oh, well, this goes – this goes back to Mac Jones, you know, not playing well down the stretch in, in, in 2021. Um, you know, I mean, you can say that. I mean, I, I put that more on the entire team. I mean, the entire team has sucked for how many years in December? Um, but anyways, you know, th- they point out that, you know, this was a guy that by the end of the season, um, not only were the team offensive stats, but Mac Jones's stats were at least or better than Tom Brady's in 2019. Um, so this goes back, the deterioration of the offense goes back a ways, but, you know, they pointed out that, you know, how Mac did, you know, in the in his very first game against the dolphins and how much they blitzed him, and how the, the Patriots did not, you know, just curl up in a ball and say like, let's just manage the game and check it down. And, and those, no, they, they went at it, you know, Mac Jones's first game and they ended up losing the game, but I mean, that was on Damian Harris fumbling the ball at the end or else they would have won that game. And also, you know, a big thing is the um you know that the toe-to-toe matchup between Mac Jones and Tom Brady. I mean, we all remember what that was like. Tom Brady coming back in Gillette Stadium with a Bucks team and you know, let's be honest, they were they floundered for about half a season, but still, a team that went on to win the Super Bowl, very talented Tom Brady obviously coming back and wanting to show uh Bill Belichick what he missed. And, you know, Mac Jones in that game was 31 of 40, 275 yards, uh, two touchdowns, an interception, a 101 rating. Brady was 22 of 43, a 70.8 rating. You know, Dak Prescott came in here and absolutely torched the Patriots. Yet, um, you know, Mac Jones, you know, ended with a 118.9. Yeah, he threw the pick six, but he also gave them a lead with two minutes left. 
you know, and when the Patriots, it seems like a foreign concept right now, and it seems like a foreign concept, and that's part of the point about where Mac Jones is right now. But, you know, they had blowout wins against, you know, the Browns, the Titans, you know, a couple other ones. And the way that the Patriots did that is they came out throwing against the Browns. Jones was 13 of 15 for 134 and two touchdowns in the first half, almost a perfect passer rating against the Titans. Um, it was it was 16 13 and halftime. Oh, I wanted to point out in the Tampa game, people forget, and one of the sources pointed this out to me, that the Patriots rushed eight times for minus one yard in that game. And they <laughs> they should have won the game. If, Yikes. if if Bill went for it on fourth down instead of going for the field goal, was that the game or was that the Dallas game in the rain? I think it was yeah, it was it was the Tampa game. Um if Bill goes for it and they get it, they, they probably run the clock down and win the game. But, I mean, they, they couldn't run at all against the Bucks. yet, you know, they threw 40, 42 times for 320 yards. 16 of their 21st downs came via the air in that game. And so, you know, and also, you know, the, like I talked about, the blowouts that Mac Jones did a really good job in. Um, you know, going back to my sources, I asked the question, because we've heard this from different people, that Mac Jones was – tightly stage managed by Josh McDaniels. And I've said that, but I wanted to know to what extent, because there's a lot of talk about like, Oh, it was like Jared Goff and Sean McVay and the 15 seconds left on the play clock. I was told unequivocally, no, that did that stuff didn't happen that they put a lot on Mac Jones and he was an extremely competent quarterback, but really what's gone on, what's gone on since then, why it's regressed so much is that, you know, and I think the I think the final quote that I use kind of summed it up perfectly where it says Bill just has not hasn't done a, a good enough job of putting together a group of players and coaches that can support the quarterback position when it's not Tom Brady they were used to doing it in a certain way when they got another quarterback they didn't change how it how it how anything went down and they didn't support them with per, uh, Mac Jones with personnel with the offensive line deteriorated. Then on top of that, the coaching. The coaching took a huge step back from where we were in 2021 with Josh McDaniels and sort of his staff, the guys yep. that he trained, a lot of the guys that he brought to, to Vegas. And instead, what they've gone to, of course, we know about 2022 with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, but also to today with, you know, Adrian Clem coming in and Troy Brown and, you know, where the, the coaching – is not good enough outside of Bill O'Brien. I mean, even look at the quarterback position. In as a rookie, Mac Jones had Bo Hardigree there, who is now the interim OC for the Las Vegas Raiders. This is a guy who played the position, who had been a coach in the league, uh, who had been a quarterback's coach in the league, and now on this staff, it's Evan Rothstein, uh, an analyst. Like, you know, how does that happen? You know, yeah. so it's just a. You know, it's the big, a lot of stuff that we've talked about. I don't think any of it is groundbreaking, but to hear it from people who aren't affiliated with, um, with the Patriots, who aren't beholden to Bill Belichick and, and, you know, who are just NFL league sources that executives that look at this, um, from afar and study the tape and, and, you know, have their own grades on Mac Jones and stuff like that. You know, they just think it's, it's a systemic problem what's gone on to this point. The biggest thing that stood out to me was that these executives that you spoke to universally believe that Mac Jones is an NFL quarterback and they believe that he could be a good NFL quarterback. So, you know, for the people that are just in the camp of Mac sucks, he's always sucked. Again, I'll just disagree with all of you. 
that feel that way. We each have opinions. Yeah. It's fantastic. Opinions are opinions. Cool. Um, but if you're if you're talking to people within the game like Greg did for this piece, they don't see it that way. They see that Mac could be a starting quarterback in the league. So if you think that Mac's value is completely shot, or they don't believe that you know he's worth absolutely anything, I, I would say that's not true off of what these execs said. Secondly, the McDaniel's handholding. I'm glad you asked about that, Greg, because this is something that's really been a hair across my tuk tuk the last few weeks. And I, I know, look, I trust Bert Rear. He, he's a good reporter. And he gets good information. And I'm sure there were some people that were talking to Bert that were trying to angle this thing to make it look like Josh McDaniels was literally carrying Mac into games like he was a little baby and taking care of him and making sure that he had, you know, knew everything. Quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks, there's a good amount of guys that get fed information in their ears before the snap of the football. That's why the NFL allows it until about 15 seconds left on the play clock. That, that's not something new. It, it happens a lot in the league. So that's the first thing I'd say. Secondly, once 15 seconds is there, communication's cut off. So if you're playing against the defense that's going to, especially against a rookie, that's trying to change some things up front late in the play clock, right? Some teams disguise things until post-snap. Max still has to read the defense and understand what's happening and make the play and make the throw. So I, I just, I hated that narrative that McDaniels was just, you know, the reason why Mac played well when he played well. That, that, that's ridiculous to me. And Nick, and also it, along those lines, go, go watch any NFL game. See how many teams break who, who are even at the line of scrimmage by, with 15 seconds left on the play clock. Like it, it, it doesn't happen. Like they basically break the huddle at 15 seconds. So you're getting up there with around 10 and then you got to figure things out. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I just think some of that is, is again, making McDaniels look great. And not making Mac look like he's competent, and I just I, I hate that kind of line of thinking back to 2021. And I'm glad that you went through some of the games. You, you, you've kind of said to me that I've got the Mac files and a number of the games that you brought up in this piece, and, and I've talked about these on the Nick Cattle Show, my podcast that I do. If you look at these games, I, I just the whole win loss record. Uh, against good teams and the idea of like he's never had a comeback win other than two times against you know Houston and then Buffalo and all that stuff is just it's such a lazy statistic to go to because when you look at these games you have to understand that the quarterback is not solely responsible for wins and losses we used to do this in baseball we used to give credit to the starting pitcher for wins and losses the win-loss record was indicative of the starting pitcher and then about 15 20 years ago we realized that was crap a lot of things happen in a football game so even this year, like you could look at the plays that Mac made against Philly and his receivers didn't help him out. The, the play that he made against the Raiders, Devontae Parker, we've, we've been through that. So even this year, Mac has made some plays at the end of games where if guys helped him out, they would have maybe won those games. And that's not to say that Mac played great or Mac didn't make mistakes. It's just that idea of he can't make a throw late in the game. He has disproved that multiple times throughout his career. All right, let's get to uh, the Turkey Day games quickly, Greg, before we get into the Giants. Just your takeaways, main takeaways from what we saw yesterday and and really three games that stunk to high heaven. Yeah, uh, you know, I I had three bullet points, but uh, my my biggest point, you know, watching the 49ers and Brock Purdy and and Kyle Shanahan operate, um, you know, I'll stick to that one. And And it relates to Mac Jones and the Patriots is that, you know, what you see with Brock Purdy, and look, Brock Purdy might have 
some sort of intangible that Mac Jones ultimately doesn't have. I, I totally allow for that. Um, but, you know, I've watched some San Francisco games this year just because, you know, I love Shanahan's offense. And, and But what you see with Brock Purdy, especially when all his guys are healthy, you know, Trent Williams and McCaffrey and Debo and Kittles and, uh, you know, you know, all these guys, um, you know, when they are healthy, Brock Purdy is in the MVP discussion. You know, there have been games when Trent Williams has been out, when Debo's been out, when Christian McCaffrey's been out, and he throws like three interceptions. He looks terrible. And like, you know, what you see with Brock Purdy is what you get when you have a, a quarterback who is, um, who is who, well supported that he has he has a head coach with confidence in him a head coach who who game plans better than anybody who game plans around what he does well and what he doesn't do well um how how to you know they go out and get guys who all you need to do is distribute the ball and they go get another 20 yards after the catch or what have you um you know i, I just think that um I don't know how people watch the San Francisco 49ers and then watch the Patriots and think that they're even in the same stratosphere as far as how to support a limited quarterback. And let's all be honest, like Brock Brock Purdy, you might want to say he's an MVP candidate, but he's not the most talented guy. You know, he's probably a little bit more athletic than Mac. And there are certainly things that I like that he he does way better than Mac. But, right. you know, when you get when you get the coaching that he does on a day in, day out basis on a real coaching staff, a real offensive coaching staff, you know, and has been for years, that's what you get. And when you don't do that, when you don't support the quarterback in any realm, this is what you get with Mac Jones. And so that was my biggest takeaway from watching the games. It, to, to really just get to the gist of the Purdy thing. Before Debo Samuel and Trent Williams were out due to injury, Terry Bradshaw, people, you know, Rex Ryan and stuff were, were calling this guy Joe Montana. Then look at the games when Debo and Trent Williams were out. Purdy was awful. He was a turnover machine. The offense fell off a cliff just due to the absence of those two guys. If you don't Didn't think they talent lose around three straight you, games, I think they lost three straight at one point. Yeah, and Purdy had more than I think two or more picks in like all, all the all of those games that those guys were out like he, he was just yep. a disaster so just, and they just scored look at 17 that. points each they scored 17 points each game too my uh my biggest takeaway was young top tier offensive players greg and how the patriots don't really have any of those guys pop douglas nice surprise i like pop i have high expectations and i'm optimistic about that guy and what he can do but Ayuk, cd lamb amon ross st brown Jamison Williams, who's starting to get it going with Detroit after all of his stuff, injuries and off the field stuff, the suspension. And even Green Bay with Watson. Watson got it going with a couple of big plays. Romeo Dobbs makes some tough catches in the middle of the field. Just young, wide receiver talent. And you look around the league and it, it should drive Patriots fans nuts that they can't figure it out. It's, it's just crazy. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick. 
a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, let's move on to the Giants quickly, Greg. Uh, Frankly, uh, you put in the notes, they blow. (laughs) Your thoughts about this football team. Yeah, my my, my quickie thoughts on this, um, you know, I – um, the Giants offensive line is freaking horrendous. Like I love it. And the big thing is, can the the Patriots should be able to get crazy pressure on Tommy DeVito, um, who, by the way, I just want to note, I forget who it was. I don't know if it was Gasper or somebody else referred to Tommy DeVito as a Rutgers quarterback. No, don't even say that. He didn't go to Rutgers. He went to Syracuse. So I don't want to even hear that stuff. Don't put him on us. Um, but anyways, he, uh, their offensive line is freaking horrible, especially uh, yeah. it looks like the right ta- right tackle. Um, I forget his name right now, but it looks like he's going to be out. He hasn't practiced all week. I mean, they are freaking horrendous outside of the la- uh, left tackle, Thomas. They have good um, they have good skill players. I mean, okay, skill players. Jalen Hyatt's a, a rookie that you know a lot of people wanted the Patriots to get. Um, I know that Dayball will have a good plan against the Patriots. He knows how to game plan against the Patriots. So if they, if the Patriots don't get pressure in this game, this has to be a big Josh Uche game for me. Um, if it's not, um, then I think that the Giants are going to do some things because Dayball knows how to go up against the Patriots. Uh, defensively, uh, Lawrence is incredible in the middle of the uh, Giants line. You have to block him. Could be a horrible day for um, Cole Strange. Good matchup to see where he is. Their, their cornerbacks stink. Their safeties are pretty good. Uh, looks like Okariki is going to be back at linebacker. There's um, they, uh, Simmons. You, you have to deal with um, Wink Martindale. They bring a lot of pressure. He blitzes a lot. Um, so it's going to be, to me, as usual, this is going to be on the two lines. You know, which line does a better job, the Patriots or the Giants? That's going to tell the story of the game. All right. Before we get into the pick for this week's game, we remind you that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel, exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. New customers receive $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. Patriots are favored on the road by three and a half, Greg, the over-under is is something to behold 34 <laughs> is the, the over under number um your your pick on this game greg uh i do like the patriots in this game but i just think giving them three and a half on the road is um is way too much uh, maybe they you know win by you know one or something like that so you know i think the pay i'm gonna pick the patriots to win this game i just think that they're more competent across the board. I do think the offensive line will find a way to hold up. Trent Brown has been practicing this week after dealing with a personal uh, thing last week and also his injuries. Maybe he's a little bit better this week. So, you know, and I think as long as they have him, then I think they get back to making the gains that they did on the offensive line in previous weeks. So I think the Patriots win. I just think that's a little bit too, too big of a number. And, I think I'm actually going to go over the 34, but that's just oh. a number. <laughs> <laughs> 34. Uh, Paul Pierce, 34. All right, so uh, I, I, I like the Patriots, but I'm standing by my edict. 
I said a couple of weeks ago, I'm not picking the Patriots, any of these picks, until they actually win a football game on the field. So I'm going to go with the Giants getting the three and a half at home. Uh, I'll go Giants and I'll go over 34 because that number is crazy. Like the whoever's playing quarterback, I just feel like you'll see a, a, at least three or four turnovers in this game, which will set up short fields. So I'll go over the uh, 34. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. All right, check us out uh, and check Greg out over at BSJ. 50 bucks a year. Bedard and Giardi uh, tag-teaming on the Patriots with film, best sources around to give you the information. Also, uh, John Corrales does some great work with the Celtics. You know the deal. BSJ member question of the day from Tyler. Hey, Greg, by most accounts, sounds like Mayo is the head coach in waiting. If that does happen, will that limit their options when it comes to hiring a GM? Can't imagine any GM worth their salt that would take a job without having any input on the coach they'll be working with well you know i picked this question um from our from my member chat which i'll be doing later today i do that every week with the members and we do it on every sport um you know for a couple different reasons number one um the mayo topic was popular with the sources that i talked to um the league executives they want to know what was going on um i would say that almost universally they all think that mayo is going to be the next head coach and that leads into that. That leads into a big discussion. Um, a lot of a lot of the sources worry about what that looks like with Mayo in charge because they just don't think that he has a and and you you would think he wouldn't that he wouldn't have a very big rolodex in terms of how to fill out his coaching staff and uh, you know in personnel and things like that. But you know I think the big thing is is that. You know, it's Mayo's going to have to find somebody. And look, they have some great. There are a few different options, I think. And I think it, the most important thing that the Crafts do is, if it's Mayo, then they he has to pick a GM that he's going to work with. And I do think, like internally, the reviews aren't very good on on Macro. I could just tell you that from talking to these sources, they don't. They think he was way underprepared for this job coming from college scouting about how to how to build a team and 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 things like that. And so assuming it's not macro, I mean, it could be. But, you know, you know, Pat Stewart's in the building. He rose very high with the Panthers. Uh, Elliot Wolf, of course, John Robinson, I still think has a lot of time and money left on his Titans contract. But he's thought of very highly, um, you know, the, the big but the big thing is. Mayo is going to have to find a way if the he just can't they just can't change the head coach and think that things are going to be better and I hope that Gerard doesn't think that I hope the Crafts doesn't think that Gerard's going to have to 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 rely on his agent Sean Kiernan from Athletes First very experienced very good agent they have a long depth chart in terms of uh, coaching prospects around the league but it's incumbent upon Gerard to when he gets in there find the right personnel guy sounds like John Robinson. A lot of people think he's the best option. Um, we'll see whether he wants to do that. Um, 
But he also has to, you know, do what he has to do with the coaching staff. Just don't do Steve Belichick if that's not what you believe. And, you know, go find the best coaching staff possible or else, you know, it's almost pointless to let go of Bill at this point. I don't think you bring back the Belichicks. I don't think you bring back, you know, a number of these guys. What has Troy Brown done at wide receiver to continue his job? Special teams has been a disaster. Blow those guys out. Uh, the one thing, though, that interests me, and I, I talked about this on my pod this week, so I won't go too in-depth about it. I did a whole podcast on Gerard Mayo before Thanksgiving. The one thing I would say, though, is offensive coordinator. And I know people want to get rid of Bill O'Brien. They want a young offensive mind, and I understand all of that. But I truly believe it depends on the quarterback. Like, if, if you don't get a top pick in this draft, if you don't get a top three pick, and you don't have a shot at one of May or Williams, and you're not necessarily you know, believing that the other guys – that all of them, there's not one guy that could be that next face of the franchise dude. As much as people hate this idea, there is a possibility that Mac Jones is back next year. Now he could be back yep. with, say, a Michael Penix or a Jaden Daniels, and you have a quarterback competition, or you bring yep. in a vet quarterback. If, if you're bringing Mac Jones back, you're likely to bring uh, another quarterback in that is similar to Mac, so you run an offense that can work for either quarterback that wins the competition. So I want people to keep that in mind because Bill O'Brien might actually hang around with Mayo because if you do bring back, let's say you're quote unquote stuck with Mac. If you bring him back, you don't want to give him another system to learn. He's already gone through three different offensive coordinators. <laughs> like, so I, I would be, I would just remember that fact. Like the, the OC is tied to the hip with the quarterback. And if, if they're in a position where they can't get somebody else who is an absolute upgrade over Mac or they want to have a competition, O'Brien could be back as OC as well to try to at least keep that consistency on that side of the football. Uh, he's I, Greg. I completely agree, Nick. I completely agree. And I, I just wanted to add that, like, you know, a check mark for, for Bill O'Brien. Um, and, and I do think you have the benefit of him probably wanting to stick around. And who knows when he wants to be a head coach again. And, and you know, he's been transient for a while and his family is settled but a check mark for him is that he tailored the Patriots system to Deshaun Watson and it and it worked pretty well and so you know he has the ability to to tailor it how the quarterback needs it even if he has different quarterbacks in the room like say Mac Jones and Jaden Daniels or somebody like that like Bill O'Brien is a guy that I would feel very confident in, in doing that um, in the best interest of the Patriots. He's Greg. I'm Nick. Everybody have a great weekend. 